I had a picture while we were worshiping. I don't know how this is going to feed into what I'm going to talk on this morning, if it will feed into what I'm going to talk on this morning, but I, I felt I, I, I should share it. Um, it, it was this it, one concept that's just grabbed me so deeply here in the last several months has been the concept of the mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds. But you plant it in the garden, and it turns into the, eventually grows to be the greatest of all uh, the garden trees. And the Lord says that that's what the kingdom of heaven is like. And I could picture this, this mustard seed planted in the ground, and it began to grow roots. It began to just move out, and then it began to move up as we were worshiping. And as it moved out, there's weeds all around and all these other things uh, that didn't belong in the garden that were there around this, this mustard plant as it was growing. But as it would grow, it sucked up the nutrients of the ground, and these other ones just began to dry up and shrivel up. And uh, that is exactly what the kingdom of God does in our life and what the kingdom of God wants to do in this congregation. In your life, if you allow the, 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 the mustard seed to have root... To just say, Lord, have your way. You don't know where it's going to go. And you can't know where it's going to go. And you should know where it's going to go. But just yield to the Lord wherever he's going to go. And let that mustard seed, let the roots begin to grow in your life. And what you find is that there's all these weeds in your life, isn't there? They're weeds. And you try to pull those weeds out on your own. And man, you get calluses on your hands and they just grow back again. But when the Spirit of God begins to work in your life and that mustard seed, the kingdom principles begin to move in your life, it just sucks them dry. <laughs> and they shrivel up. And you don't want them anymore. That's, that's what discipleship is all about. That's what growth is all about. The things that used to seem so attractive and used to be so big in your life and so powerful in your life and maybe so destructive in your life just begin to dry up. If you let the Lord just yield, yield to that mustard seed growing in your life. That's how it happens in our lives individually. And the new piece that I got this morning is that that's how it happens in the congregation. And there's a pruning that goes on in congregations as well. Things get dried up. The two things that feed that mustard seed are spirit and truth. Spirit and truth. If you just worship in spirit and just proclaim the truth, the mustard seed will grow in your life individually and it will grow in the congregation and the weeds are going to dry up. The weeds are going to dry up. Lord, dry up the weeds here. I have just been so uh, moved on by the Lord the last uh, several weeks. Just, I feel the need. I, I want to uh, throw this out here. Would you, as the Lord does, if the Lord does something in your life, you know, we have an obligation a responsibility and an opportunity to brag on God when he does something great in our life. If, if, if God does something great in your life, you need to tell people about it, to bring God glory. He did it for your benefit, but he also does it for the benefit of the kingdom. Would you, unless the Lord tells you otherwise, send testimonies to us at the church office? Uh, many of you do that already, and they're beautiful. They're just beautiful, and it just feeds us to, to see this. And we're going to de develop an avenue to get that out, because you need to know some of the beautiful things that God is doing. We just got to brag on God. Yes, brag on God. God's doing great things. Last week, there were three people who were healed of deep, deep wounds. One of them for four decades, having a bitterness towards her mother that had just controlled her life. And she got set free. 
She just got set free, and there's two other people that were healed from significant wounds that were there, and they got a, a truer picture of God and, and got enemy, enemy weed stuff in their life rooted out because the Spirit of God just planted this seed and brought it to fruition. we got to give God the glory for stuff like that. That's beautiful kingdom stuff. Several weeks ago, two people just got the conviction to get baptized, and they went out and called some of the church office, Tyler, and went out and baptized them. That's how we do it around here. When you, when you see it, you do it. <laughs> so it's not too formal. It wasn't formal in the New Testament. Two people got baptized. We want to give God the glory for that. A person came into my office several weeks ago with several other people in the church here, and he was just, he, he's employed by one of the people that goes to the church occasionally here. This isn't his regular church. He goes to a different church, comes here occasionally to get, as he says, fueled up. And, uh, uh, and that's great. But he's working with this person who was having these, what it looked to us like, demonic dreams. And all this person wanted to do was the end of nightmares because he couldn't sleep. For two weeks he hadn't slept because of these dreams. He didn't know what it was about. He doesn't know anything about anything in spiritual warfare or whatever. And so we were able to explain to him a little bit about spiritual warfare and how to get protected from dreams like this. And so we told him about the Lord Jesus Christ. And he submitted his life to Jesus Christ and received his forgiveness. He became a child of the kingdom that day. And the dream stopped immediately. Praise God. You gotta brag on God for stuff like that. All he wants is the dreams to stop, but he had no idea. He didn't have a clue as to what God's bigger picture was. The Lord had a lot more in store than, than, than ending just the dreams. A person in this congregation several weeks ago was gonna have their car out for sale. The Lord told them, don't sell it, give it. So they give, gave the car away. That's a kingdom kind of a thing to do. A person in need of a car, you give it to them. There's a young lady in this congregation who was just complaining that she didn't have enough closet space for her clothes. The Lord just sort of said, the problem's not the closet. <laughs> See, that's how we Americans think about things. I don't have a big enough closet. The kingdom might be saying, no, you got too much clothes. And that's what the Lord told her. This is on her own. No one prompted her, no rule, no anything like this. The Lord just kind of put that on her. So she took out half her wardrobe, went down to the shelter in Minneapolis and gave it away. That's a kingdom thing to do. And God is, just, is, is, is doing this in people's lives, building the reality of the kingdom. The mustard seed is growing in people's lives. We've got to give God the glory for it. When God does something like that, it's not you bragging. Uh, that, that you're bragging on God. And tell us about it. You can put it in care of me. And we'll get a file going. And maybe we'll get a newsletter. But we need to keep on praising God. We do that a little bit with a connection. We need to be a little more intentional about it. A couple prayer requests here, too, before I get going. I can't see the clock very well. This is going to be the world's fastest sermon. Okay. But this is important stuff. Number one, three prayer requests. Number one, long story short here, a person at Bethel knows a person who does a lot of celebrity promotions and bookings and stuff. This person spent three days with Muhammad Ali and gave him a copy of Letters from a Skeptic. Muhammad Ali uh, is right now in the process of, he just finished his autobiography. His mind is all there. He doesn't look like it, but his mind is all there. He's got this disease that he, where he can't talk and walk and function very well, but his mind is as astute, probably more astute than it ever has been. He's writing a book right now on his Muslim faith in which he's critiquing uh, Western Christianity, a scathing critique. This person shared with him the Lord and gave him letters from a skeptic. Muhammad Ali's been reading it, and I just got word on Thursday, wants to correspond, I don't know with me or with this other person, about it. He's very interested in it. I believe in prayer saturation, where you target a person and saturate them with prayer. That's what I did with my father, and after three years it paid off. For all who feel so led, would you pray for Muhammad Ali? Now his soul isn't more important than any soul. Every soul is infinitely important. But in terms of the strategy and the warfare... 
Uh, one, one poll showed that this, he has the, most, the greatest name recognition around the globe more than any other person, even higher than Mother Teresa. Because in Muslim countries, he is seen as being an absolute hero. And what a, what a blow to the kingdom of darkness it would be if this person got saved. Join with me in praying for him, that God would just use that. And if he opens up an avenue of conversation with him, I made a covenant with God a while back that any door he opens up, i got to walk through, and I'm going to walk through. So just be praying that God would use that, okay? Secondly, pray about this. We really do, uh, at the beginning of this year, we, we diagnose some things we do well and some things we don't do so well. One of the things we don't do very well is building community. And that's very problematic because Christianity is relational. Christianity is community. So we're very intentional this year at building community. That's why we're having more get-togethers. We had this chat and child thing this last Friday. We're doing a lot of things to try to facilitate building community. We need people who will step forward and say that, that they would head up a, a small group, or at least people who are interested in exploring that. Steve and Barry are going to have a training session here in a couple of weeks uh, for people who are interested in starting small groups. One of the things we recognized that we didn't do well before is we didn't give enough support for people who get involved in that. And we try to make it permanent. These are going to be temporary small groups. They can go longer if you want them to. But this is just some practical training on how to begin to uh, facilitate a small group, how to make it happen. You don't need any prerequisites. You don't need to be a type A person or anything like that. But pray that the Lord might be leading you into a ministry here. To just step up and open up your house to have some people in and to begin some kind of relational Christianity. A second thing is that we, we really need people, as, as Steve was saying, to help out in the setup and the teardown of Sunday morning. And that's in the bulletin. And this is ministry, folks. This is, this is part of the, the brass tax ministry. The kingdom does not go forward without stuff like this. So, so look at that and search your heart and see if the Lord wouldn't be leading you into that. Amen. The book of Hebrews, chapter 5. And I'm just going to introduce this topic this morning because this is huge uh, in me. This is just big. And what I'm doing here is, is this. I, I have felt very strongly from the Lord, very impressed to stop at Hebrews 5, 8, and 9 and hover. That's the impression I get is just stop and hover. And I'm not doing exegesis of this passage. I'm using it as an occasion to step back and, and uh, um, talk about a broader topic. Hebrews 5, verses 8 and 9, says basically this. Uh, Though Jesus was the Son. Verse 7 talks about Him being in the garden. That with loud, without, with loud cries and tears, He called out to the One who could save Him from death. And He was heard because of His reverent submission. Though He was a Son, yet He learned obedience by the things which He suffered. And having been made complete, He became the source of eternal salvation to all who believe. The concept that I want to focus on, and we've been focusing on it for the last two uh, sermons on this, is this whole concept of being completed or being made perfect by the things which you suffer. It's a series that I'm calling quite tactlessly, No Pain, No Gain. But if it was true of the Master, it's going to be true of all those who follow the Master. The Bible says that Jesus, for the joy that was before Him, He endured the suffering of the cross. On the way to being completed as a disciple of Christ, on the way to being completed for the purpose for which God has us, on the way to taking on the image of Christ, there has got, we've got to learn obedience, and that will involve discipleship. It will involve discipline. From the flesh perspective, it will involve suffering. Let me just say a word about that, though. Jesus said the kingdom of God, Matthew chapter 13, verses 43 and 44, he said the kingdom of God 
It's like a man who found a treasure in the middle of a field. And out of the joy of finding that treasure, he went and sold all that he had to buy the field so he could get the treasure. And then Jesus said in verse 44, the kingdom of God is like a pearl of great price that someone discovered. And because that pearl was so precious, he went out and sold all of his other pearls in order to have that one pearl. For the joy of having the pearl, he, he sold his other pearls. For the joy of having the, um, the treasure, you sell all that you have and buy the field. That is what Christian discipleship is like. Christian discipleship, the fuel of Christian discipleship is not, oh, rats, I'm supposed to do this. The fuel that runs discipleship in the Christian life is for the joy that is before us. For the joy that is before us. It's kind of like this in a relationship with your husband or wife. To have the joy of a monogamous relationship, it requires sacrifice. You need to quit thinking like a single person. You need to stop your eyes from roving. They've been roving for years and years, and now you shut that down. You shut off opportunities. You stop thinking like an I. You start thinking like a we. you got to start doing house chores. You make a lot of sacrifices for the, for the purpose of this relationship. And the flesh, the flesh part of you, the selfish part of you says, I don't want to do that. But you do it because the relationship is worth it. And there's no way to enter into the joy of a monogamous relationship, the joy of a marriage, and discover the depth of love that can only be found in a committed monogamous relationship. There's no other way to find that other than sacrificing the things that need to be sacrificed to get that. Now, you don't earn the love by what you sacrifice. But if you've got the love, it impacts everything else. You know what I'm saying here this morning? So it is with the mustard seed. So it is with the mustard seed. You buy the treasure. You look at the treasure. You look at the pearl. And you see that this is the one thing in life that matters. And whatever it takes to have that, whatever it takes to, to savor that and to enjoy it, you do. Jesus Christ is the one thing in life that matters. When all is said and done. Jesus Christ is the one thing that lasts eternally. The beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ that we worship this morning. The glory of the Lord Jesus Christ that we worship this morning. The beauty of the relationship. The wholesome of the relationship. And the joy and the power and the peace and the treasures of heaven that are ours. By clinging to Jesus Christ are so great. They're so wonderful. They're so profound. They're so transforming. That everything else in the world, if you had to give it away, it wouldn't even be worthy to be counted a cost. And discipleship is the process of saying this, I want this mustard seed to grow, and therefore every weed that would ever hinder the growth of that mustard seed has got to go, has got to go. And there's a part of you that says, no, I don't want it to go, but for the joy of Jesus Christ, for the joy of walking in the reality and the power and the glory of God, you say, I will be a disciple, I will walk like Jesus, talk like Jesus, work like Jesus. He is the model, he is the model of how we are to live. There is no way to the glory of the resurrection except through the cross. So also Jesus makes it very clear that there is no way to the goods of the kingdom of God except through discipleship, except through discipline. Now Jesus' life is the model here. The Bible says numerous times that we are to imitate Jesus Christ. That's why we're hovering over Hebrews 5, 8, and 9. We are to live like he lived. The first uh, 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 principle of discipleship that we looked on was fasting. Jesus fasted. In fact, that was, it was, it's assumed throughout Scripture that for all who are physically able, uh, fasting is a normal part of our spiritual uh, life. I believe that one of the reasons why there is an extra edge of intensity in the worship here this morning is that a lot of people here in this congregation have fasted one day this week. Maybe it was yesterday. Maybe you're still fasting. 
And fasting tenderizes you to the presence of God. It, it softens you. It really does. Because your life is rightly aligned, your body is the caboose, which is exactly where it's supposed to be. And by fasting, you're taking it and you're making it a caboose. You're saying, I tell you what you're going to get. You don't tell me what you want. That's all there is to it. And that unleashes a sensitivity to the Spirit of God in our life. A second thing that Jesus was discipled in, we see it also in the Gospels, is resisting sin. And so also the people of God are called to resist sin, to be discipled. Because the culture allows for it, does not mean that we are to allow for it. Because the culture minimizes it and says, oh, no big deal, the people of God are to walk according to the Father's priorities, not our own. The third area that I want to just introduce here this morning is this. And this one is just huge. And I'm going to really get to it next week. And I feel such a compulsion on this one. Please come back next week. I've never said that. Uh, but you know what? I, I just want you to... But I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll introduce it here. Here's the teaching. Jesus lived this. And, 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 and this is the, the, the teaching that, that he gives throughout the Gospels. Where's the verse? It's found in Luke. He says, don't, don't worry. Don't, don't keep on striving for what you're going to eat or, or what you're going to drink or where you're going to live. Don't keep on worrying. For it is the nations of the world that strive after all these things, but your Father knows that you need them. Instead, instead of striving for the food and the drink and the housing and the clothes and the cars, strive, instead of doing that, strive for the Father's kingdom. And all these things will be taken care of. Jesus is saying, chill. <laughs> Do not be afraid, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give alms. Make purses for yourselves that do not wear out. The purses of this world wear out. An unfailing treasure in, your, in heaven where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Another time Jesus said, you cannot serve God and mammon. I'm going to talk about discipleship lifestyle or stewardship. To get at this succinctly, because I only have a few minutes left here. Let me tell you kind of how this burst for me. And it happened in the most trivial possible way. But it's, it's, it, I think the analogy will work because, or the illustration will work precisely because it's trivial. I started working out about three months ago. Uh, some people like Jim Boo, who's in the visitor's room right now, was telling me I was getting fat. And he was right. And that I needed to take better care of the temple. So I, I started working out three months ago, just running a little bit, lifting a little bit. And I would reward myself after each workout with, with this drink at this health club. It's called a smoothie. It's a nice drink. Uh, it's, it's, it's got a little vodka, you know, it just kind of took the edge off. No, 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 no. No, it's a, it's a fruit drink. I had a good workout today. My workouts got shorter and shorter, and that drink, you know, I'm going to go work out. One, two, one, two, no, okay. <laughs> Look at that bicep. Thing. Okay, never mind. Off track, ADD. But I, I used to use that to motivate myself. Okay, I'm going to work out really hard, and then I'll get a smoothie. It tastes great. It's very nutritional. I work out in the morning. This is my breakfast, and, and it's got protein in it. I did that for about a month, and then the Lord, I, I felt the Lord said, no, this wasn't like a voice from heaven or whatever, but I just had a growing, I'm, 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 I'm squishing together things that took place over a period of time here, but I had a growing conviction that I'm not supposed to do that. I am supposed to work out, but the smoothie is supposed to go. It's a weird thing. And, uh, 
I'm telling you, there was no alcohol in it or anything. This was a good drink. But it cost three bucks a shot. Now, I work out three times a week, and three times three is nine, so that's $9 a week I'm spending on a smoothie. That comes out to be $36 a month. That comes out to be $430-some a year. Think about this. Now, I didn't know exactly why the Lord said, knock off the smoothie, but I have since learned why. Two nights ago, I was uh, sitting down uh, with, with Greg Erickson, and, and he, as we, we've talked about this a little bit here, uh, he and his wife have developed this ministry down in Haiti, and a lot of people get involved in it. We've started a children's home. Um, and, uh, you know, so we have a missionary thing going on down there, and it's beautiful, the things that God is doing. We sat down and started thinking about what, what all this is going to cost us and what else we could do. For, here's what we figured out. We've got, there's five kids now who would otherwise be virtually homeless that are housed in this house. And there's five kids that are, are um, uh, now have parental care where before they didn't have parental care, or at least not good parental care. There's five kids who are going to be getting meals three times a day now who wouldn't otherwise be getting meals. There's five kids who are going to be getting schooling every day where otherwise they would not have any, any schooling whatsoever. There's five kids who are going to be getting Christian training in the gospel who otherwise would not, have any, would not hear anything about the gospel. The cost of having a house for five kids with his governess and his tutor and the food and medical expenses in Haiti is about $480 a year. And you might as well just go, boosh, like that. For the, for the cost of a smoothie three times a week, you can give five kids an opportunity that they're never going to have in Haiti. And see, we live in a culture that's just got this stronghold on us that makes us think that everything we earn, that we have a right to live off of it. And I'll be saying more about this next week. But the kingdom principle is just the opposite of this. No, no, hear this. I want to say this right up front. I'm not saying that smoothies are bad. We heard a sermon against smoothies. It's just that the mustard seed got my smoothie. That's the title of the sermon. The mustard seed gets the smoothie. Hallelujah. I am not, don't go out there thinking, oh, no, no, he thinks that anytime we do any extra, go out to eat or go to a movie or whatever, we should feel guilty about it. I'm not saying that. And some of the most miserable people in the world I've ever met are people who say stuff like that, who they give up a bunch of stuff and, and whatever, and they judge other Christians because, you know, do you really need that car? Do you really need that shirt? Do you really need that smoothie? You know, whatever. Jesus changed the water into wine. That was a superfluous miracle. There's plenty of starving people he could have wasted that miracle on, but here was a wedding and they ran out of wine, so Jesus spends one of his miracles on that, that wedding. And I don't know how you want to theologize that, but it at least tells me this. You are not going to make the world a fair place. It's, it's not a fair place, so you've got to lighten up a little bit, okay? And sometimes, you know, you go out and have a smoothie. I might even have a smoothie someday. Who knows? At the same time. Okay, so that's the balance. That's the balance. I don't think it does anyone any good if we go around feeling guilty for being born in America, all right? I'm sorry. I apologize for the world. Mom, I can't send the peas over to the children in India, you know? <laughs> that kind of thing. At the same time, at the same time, here's the truth that's just got to land. If Jesus Christ is Lord of my life, and I make him Lord of my life, or rather, I recognize the fact that he is Lord of my life, then that means he's Lord of my finances. He's Lord of my possessions. He's Lord of my time. He's Lord of my life, right? 
If he's Lord of my life and Lord of my finances, that means he's Lord over the $430 that I spent on smoothies. That means that I don't own that $430. I'm a steward of it, right? I'm a steward of it. He owns it. He's the Lord of my life. That means if he wants to reallocate those funds, he has every right to do so. And he did. He says, you know what? I, in this case, want you to set that apart, and now let's start thinking about how you can use the kingdom for that. You give up your smoothie. And there's a part of me every time I work out that says, I want a smoothie, I want a smoothie. Isn't this profound? But here's the thing. Here's the thing. The minute, here's what I found. The minute that I gave up the smoothie and started saying, I'm going to put this towards the kingdom, that money became meaningful. Uh, Jean-Paul Sartre, a famous French philosopher and atheist, uh, said this. I read this about 20 years ago, and this quote has never left me. He said, A finite point without an infinite reference point is essentially meaningless. A finite point without an infinite reference point is essentially meaningless. Don't give me that look. I'll explain it. Like, <laughs> I was following you up to right now. But here, 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 here's the deal. He was an atheist. He thought life was meaningless because it ends. He was right and wrong. He's wrong that life is meaningless because it doesn't, it never does end. But here's what he's right at. Everything that does end is meaningless. After it exists, it doesn't matter whether it existed or not, it stopped. So also, everything that we can touch, everything that we can taste, everything that we can feel, everything that we can invest in in this world comes to an end. That means that it's utterly meaningless. You spend $450 on this self, you spend $450 on your car, on your smoothie, it doesn't mean anything. It gives you a momentary pleasure, but it's meaningless, it's purposeless. And the house that we have, it's meaningless whether it's big or whether it's small. It's meaningless whether you're comfortable or whether you're not comfortable. It's meaningless whether you've got enough bathroom space or not. It's meaningless whether you've got a cordless phone or not. It's meaningless whether you drive a Mercedes-Benz or not. It's meaningless whether you keep up the latest fad in your fashions or not. And I'm not saying that any of that is bad. I'm just saying it's meaningless. What is meaningful is when you take the resources that God has blessed us with, and we are blessed. The average American lives six times better than the global average. Did you know that? We are blessed. But to take that now and to invest it in the mustard seed, to invest it in the kingdom of God, to invest it in love, that's kingdom work. That's kingdom thinking. And now it takes on meaning. Now it takes on purpose. Now you're laying a treasure up in heaven where the moth and the rust can't corrupt and a thief can't steal it. Now you're investing in something that will last forever. This is meaning. What you see in the life of Jesus and what you see in the early church, and we'll be talking more about this next week and maybe the week after, I don't know, but it's this. They're not saying you can't spend anything on yourself, and they're not saying that you can't have a little glass of wine at a wedding. Jesus clearly isn't saying that. Still, there's got to be a principle of thinking, the mustard seed principle, that leads us to ask this very un-American question. What can I invest that will last forever? And to live with the reality that only that matters. Paul said work and earn money. Ephesians chapter 4, work, earn money. This isn't about how much you earn. Get filthy, stinking rich, please. But he says work and earn money so that you may be able to give to those who are in need. The purpose for life is to give itself away. If you lose your life, you'll find it to deny yourself, to crucify yourself. And now it hits to the place which is so precious to us, the pocketbook. And am I saying that you shouldn't drink a smoothie? Am I saying that the house you're living in is too big? Am I saying that the car you're driving or the clothes you're wearing is wrong? I am not saying that. No one can tell you how this mustard seed is going to grow in your life. 
All I'm saying this morning is this, let it get planted. Let it get planted, and it will grow the way it's supposed to grow. I may lose my house on this one. I don't know. But I know that if I'm supposed to lose my house, it will be right. I'll, I'll want to do that for the joy set before me. I'll say, you know what? My wife will say, you know what? My kids probably will never get along. But, you, know, you go with what you got. You say, for the joy set before me, we can half this house and invest it in the kingdom. But that's a natural thing. It doesn't come because Bill or John or anybody said, you ought to get rid of that. Just like no one could say, you've you got to get rid of that smoothie. You can't. The Spirit of God does it. Let it find fertile soil here and let it begin to grow. Father in heaven, I pray, Lord God, that the beginning of a seed has been planted. And I would just pray, Lord, that it begins to grow. It is growing, Lord. We see it happening all over the place. Father, there is a tremendous stronghold that we are coming against here that I am subject to. That's called the demonic American dream. We come against it in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, break the power of this lie on our life and help us to go out of here, kingdom people, to see all that we are, all that we own, all of our time, all of our talents as vehicles for kingdom building, which is what our purpose is. We are stewards of that. We don't own it. We let go of it, Lord. We give it to you. And Lord, just let the mustard seed choke everything that's not supposed to be there. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.